in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Major League Baseball has pulled the All-Star Game out of Atlanta. That was in response to the uh, voting bill that was passed in Georgia and plenty of players and managers across the sport of baseball uh, basically saying that, like Dave Roberts, they would consider sitting out if they were you know, selected to be the manager for their team, uh, basically speaking out against that voting bill in Georgia. So we talked about this late last week and i'm curious now that major league baseball has done this now that they have pulled it out what do you think this will have any impact like what kind of effect is this going to have well i I mean i guess it'll have an impact in atlanta who won't get you know whatever it was going to bring to the city in terms of uh you know uh interest and finances and all that i don't know if it has an impact anywhere else this is not the first time something like this has happened as we know and it won't be the last uh given society and culture right now and, and kind of what's at the forefront so not surprised at all they did this um you and i thought that last week when it was all look once the players said they might not come it was over they're not gonna uh, have an all-star game where someone like you know the stars of the stars don't show up i mean dave roberts is you know a fly on the wall compared to let's say trout or someone like that says i'm not coming i'm not saying he did but you know stars so this you knew this was happening but no, I don't think it has a long-term impact on anyone other than the city of Atlanta. I mean, it'll, they'll go to a new the city. That city will, you know, gain all the benefits from having an all-star game, and they'll move on. Well, lucky for Atlanta, there's probably almost no benefits from having an all-star game. But as far as making an impact in the state of Georgia, this is not going to do much because, if anything, it's just going to make people that were in favor of this voting bill yeah, dig exactly. in even deeper. Exactly. But That's what will happen. This is the first shot and i used the example last week of the of in mississippi the state flag of mississippi until this last year had the confederate flag still in it and the ncaa said we're not giving you guys any postseason events until you change your flag and that didn't that didn't matter for like 10 or 15 years mississippi said whatever we're keeping our flag we don't care about your events people love the flag but it kept a continual amount of people or organization saying we're not doing anything with mississippi until you change your flag and ultimately what it came from was somebody within it was a mississippi state football player that started bringing that conversation to light and that's when people started to listen that's when it became okay maybe we do need to change the flag so in georgia that's not going to have much of an effect of baseball pulling out because it's easy for people to say, well, baseball's the villain, and they are not whatever. They don't agree with our politics, so they, they're they the enemy now. But if it came from within, right, if if Ozzie Albies or Ronald Acuna Jr., like if one of those guys were to step up and say, no, this bill's pretty ridiculous, that's when change might actually happen. That's when people might start listening to change things in Georgia. Did you guys read that they are thinking about trying to remove their antitrust oh, exemption? That's the best part of all of this because, uh, like, Ted Cruz is out here trying to do that because that is the best example of they don't care that Major League Baseball has antitrust. That is, hey, Major League Baseball did something that we don't like, so we're going to try to punish them, which if you're, like, a citizen and these are the people supposed to be representing you, 
That's how you're governing? You're governing on petty crap like, oh, they disagreed with us and not, oh, what's actually best for the people of this country? That's the crap we have to put up with is that's how they pass laws. You're, you're completely right on, uh, on that and also on the sense that all this will do is divide it more. This is not going to change people's minds on either side in terms of what's right here and, and whether it's the law and the voting, the voting laws or, or them taking out of the game. This just causes more contention within both sides. So they'll dig in, like you said, and they'll move the game. And I don't think this changes much, to tell you the truth. Great question. Thank you. A complaint has been filed with the Houston Police Department about Deshaun Watson. So if you have not been keeping up, we are up to, what is it, 21 women have filed lawsuits, civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson for sexual assault while he was receiving a massage. But for the longest time, there was no criminal complaint. There was no criminal case. There was nothing to the Houston Police Department, the lawyer for these women, had said he wasn't going to turn over anything to the Houston Police Department because he had beef with somebody in the Houston Police Department. Now somebody has gone to the Houston Police Department and filed a complaint. The lawyer for the women said he didn't file. This was not him, so it's somebody else. Um, the Houston Police Department said, like any complaint, they're going to look into it. I don't really know what happens next or what this means. I do know Deshaun Watson's lawyer said they were excited because they'll finally learn the identity of at least one of these accusers. So I think it's 50-50 here on Deshaun Watson's lawyer. I absolutely believe him when he says he wants to know who it is because at this point, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of fighting ghosts, right? All these names and you don't really, you know, the lawyer Busby has kind of been, you know, this goofy guy on Facebook and it's just kind of been out there in terms of not really knowing what he has. Well, if someone files a criminal complaint, you're going to have the right at some point you know, if, if a charge is brought or to depose someone to know who it is and to know what the actual complaint is. So he probably is happy about that. There's also the mystery of, uh-oh, what if this is something serious? But if I'm him, and we can ask uh, Sam and Ash this on Wednesday, I'd rather know who I'm dealing with than just some guy on Facebook saying I have 18 women <laughs> who says this guy did this. You know what I mean? Like the other day, when the, his Deshaun Watson's lawyer countered with actual women and their names and their quotes defending Deshaun Watson, I want to know everyone's name and charges in this thing. I, the worst thing is when you're dealing with someone like Busby and, and you don't know any facts, really, just that all these women are saying he did this. So, yeah, I'm sure the lawyer says, let me know who it is and, and what the exact complaint is. This oh, that's be... a great, great question. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. This would just be so much easier if Tony Busby, the lawyer, didn't seem like such an ass. Like, he just, like, right. there's, there's, uh, what is he doing? Like, half of the time, it's like, what is this guy doing? If he doesn't, didn't seem like the guy whose office is in an empty strip mall. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Is this Saul? Next question. More than half of the Vancouver Canucks have tested positive for COVID-19. That is according to ESPN. Some of them have symptoms like vomiting, dehydration, the NHL was planning to bring them back on Thursday of this week. That seems very unlikely to happen at this point. But uh, the Canucks, it's not just a case of they've got positive tests and have to wait it out. They seem to have players that are that are really suffering right now through this. Yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, I my guess is they're thinking it's the variant. I have no idea. Maybe you've read. I don't know how many guys, if at all, these guys were vaccinated. Um, but they, I've read several stories where it's one of the variants that, you know, 
is not good. It, it's definitely a reminder. I know all three of us have been vaccinated. I mean, we're, we're pro for that. I mean, I know some people aren't, but, uh, you know, it, it is, it's a reminder that even after that, that there's dangerous things with this thing out there and it can still get you. Um, my question to you is this will be interesting because, like you said, there are now 16 players with, you know, serious symptoms. This is not just like you said, hey, we'll wait till we get off the list. How how much does this have to go on for them to consider calling the season off for Vancouver? And then if you do that, you could really affect playoff positions and another thing. So I don't know if they're going to go to the end before that, but I saw that a couple written a couple places over the week. It's like, just cancel the season for these guys. Yeah, I think, well, the Canucks are not in a playoff spot no. right now. I'd have to look no, and see how people. close they are. Um, but they're not in a playoff spot right now. It would certainly affect the schedule. Um, but it, it's not. It, here's the problem: it's going to take a while for this to for the Canucks to be clear of this. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking you're talking half the team, and it's again yeah. like when the Golden Knights had to go on pause because of the coaches. As far as we know, nobody had significant symptoms. The reports here, no, guys, no. guys have significant symptoms. So yeah, this is probably going to take a lot longer than just this week to figure it out. And we're looking at roughly 20 games left in the season over the course of the next month, like. That, I think that's a legitimate thing the NHL might end up having to do is, yeah, sorry, Canucks, we're just going to have to call it because you guys are going to miss, the, what I mean, what, the next two weeks? Is that, I, I we're kind of guessing, but it, well, it doesn't feel crazy. at least crazy. two weeks if they all yeah. have symptoms like that. It doesn't feel crazy yeah. to say they're out for a minimum of two weeks, and there's, what, four weeks left in the season? Yeah, I think right. that's legitimate here, that, hey... They're going to have to remake the schedule with the rest of the teams in Canada to make up the rest of the games to figure out who's going to make the playoffs. They're looking at it now. They're they're fifth place in the uh, North Division, six points behind the Canadians. So they eh, probably weren't going to make it. They could have, but they're probably the good thing about the NHL and the the North Division. There's four good teams and three bad teams. Like we know who's making the playoffs already, so it kind of doesn't matter if their schedule's a little wonky to end the year. Right. Right. Next question. Nevin Lawson has been suspended two games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. This will be the third time that Nevin Lawson has been suspended since signing with the Raiders. He will not have played an opening day game with the Raiders since signing over here because he has now had two separate suspensions for PEDs and one for a fight that the whole team had with the Broncos at the end of the season. Should they just get rid of Nevin Lawson? Well, hold on now, Tyler. They only have one cornerback. So uh, <laughs> uh, after they actually signed a cornerback, hey, I saw over the weekend, Richard Sturman, still a possibility. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, once you get some depth, uh, maybe in the draft or wherever, I don't know if it's, you know, the smartest thing to continue to hold on a guy who obviously can't follow PED rules. Um and it's not a guy who, even as bad as they are defensively, I don't know if you lose him and you think, oh, we really lost, you know, a big chunk here in terms of what he gives us. You can find Nevin Lawson out there, whether it's, again, signing someone or drafting someone. So I, I, I'm with you. I mean, you know, look, you just you, you can't keep you can't be keeping suspended for PEDs and not someone above say, is this the best course of action for us to have this guy on this team? Because the, the publicity's bad. The headlines are bad for it. And he's not really great. So it's one thing if it's a starter and you absolutely need the guy. You can explain that away. But Nevin Lawson continuing to do this, I don't know if you really need that headache. He is. Uh, he was ranked 80th by Pro Football Focus among cornerbacks last year. So you can certainly replace Nevin Lawson. The problem, though, 
is that ranked 80th was better than David Arnett and Trayvon Mullen last year. So he's the best quarterback on the roster. <laughs> All right, that puts it somewhat in perspective of how bad they are. But uh, the other two are continuing to get suspended. So I don't know if they'll move on from him or not. Probably not. Character matters. Uh, but I think you can find, like you said, take the other two out. You can find Nevin Lawson to be better than the other two starting. Man, you know, that's a great question. Stanford won the national championship. They beat Arizona by one last night. Um, both teams had terrible last possessions. But Stanford, for the first time since 1992, has won the national championship in women's basketball. Uh, <laughs> I mean, good for them. And, you know, it's these these games are close. They're exciting. I mean, boy, she almost made the shot, which would have been, you know, after Suggs, that would have been amazing. But how about Stanford's last possession with the Hall of Fame coach? Dribble around and we'll hope for six seconds we can defend somebody. I mean, that was a crazy last possession. Not even get a shot. I mean, even a you know chucked up three pointer at the at the at the end of the shot clock. You know, runs more time off the clock. That's a horrible possession yep. for a team that won it. It was a disaster. Last two possessions for both teams. Horrible. Did you guys Did you guys notice that? Going into the final like two minutes, both teams had like. Both teams had combined for two fouls. And then all of a sudden, the last, like, two minutes happened, and it was like they forgot how to control their limbs. I think, Jared, I'm going to assume you're slightly confused because women's basketball plays quarters, and they reset the fouls every quarter. Oh, is that that's what you want, right? Is this another? Well, hold on. We've come up with another change to men's college basketball that you want. So right. now, what, what about the quarters? This is an easy one, because every other basketball league in the world plays quarters except men's college basketball. They get advanced the ball also, don't they? They can. You can call a timeout okay. and advance it in the last two right. minutes, which is, okay. if you're gonna have to, if you're not banning timeouts like I want, you might as well keep it around. I'm out. All right, last one. UNLV Volleyball will play Illinois State in the NCAA Tournament. The winner will get the number two overall seed, Kentucky. UNLV undefeated 12-0 this year to win the Mountain West. We will talk to Don Sullivan a little bit later, but UNLV is back in the NCAA tournament for volleyball. Yeah. Uh, we talked very very honestly on on this show, I know, on uh, football and men's basketball and how they uh, underachieved. Um, but And I know you put out the records yesterday. Maybe you can talk about that later on. But in Olympic sports, they've done very, very well. She's done very, very well with her hires. And this is a perfect example for someone to go undefeated and, and get to the NCAA tournament. So good for them. They, they need that out there. Now, they need to be better in football and men's basketball, really, because that kind of what carries everything in terms of athletic departments. But she's done a great job, and um, uh, good for them. They're in state tournament. Anytime you know we get the NCAA tournament in anything, that's, that's, a, that's a successful season. Coming up next... UNLV basketball has landed its second player in the transfer portal. Is Royce Ham going to be any good for the Rebels? Ball right side, Van Solen. Goes baseline, bangs into wood. <laughs> the official said that Moses pushed with his hand. Moses had both hands in the air. He must have used his third hand to draw that foul. In any event, it's a foul on Moses Wood. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. You'd think Moses Wood would have been an unstoppable force if he had three hands last year. That guy would be great at basketball. Nobody would ever be able to dribble past a guy with three hands. Uh, UNLV, 
with three with three hands, I don't think you need to dive on the floor. I think you're okay. No, never, never dive if you got three hands. You shouldn't dive if you have two hands, let alone three. <laughs> Uh, but UNLV landed another transfer over the weekend. Royce Ham from Texas is coming to UNLV. Now, Royce Ham was a uh, little used off the bench for the Longhorns. He played 8.8 minutes this past season, averaged 1.9 points. He's six foot nine, 245 pounds. I am curious, uh, do you think he can make a difference? Do you think this idea of, hey, Jordan McCabe was coming off the bench of West Virginia. Royce Ham off the bench of Texas. Guys coming off the bench from Big 12 schools, can they be guys that make a difference at the Mountain West level? Well, you want my really scientific, uh, researched, uh, you know, deep opinion? I have absolutely yes. no clue. Here's the thing. Um, I, I, I mean, if you say he is going to be fine because he was at a Big 12 school and that's who he practiced against every day, he didn't play very much, so... You know, the, the the situation where, you know, 8.8 minutes, okay. And those 8.8 minutes did come against the Baylors and, the, and you know, and the Texas Techs and all that. I get that. Um, I just, I, I don't know. We talked to Sam, like, you know, sometimes you go get David Jenkins from a smaller league who did really, really well, and he comes up, and let's be honest, he struggled because it's a, it's a step up. That happens all the time. Then you get a kid from a higher division, and this kid's not a very good comparison because he played a ton at Washington State, like Malachi Flynn, who comes down and just dominates the league. So I, you know, I think it's individually. Um, I would guess coming down from Texas, he'd be fine in the Mountain West, but I've never seen him. So I, I don't know. I don't know if 8.8 minutes and practicing against other Big 12 players every day means he's going to come in and be a huge difference maker. I would hope, I mean, I think Kevin Kruger would hope at least that he's a solid contributor coming from Texas, but who knows? He's 6'9", 245. I, I have no idea how he'll do I think between Jordan McKay from West Virginia and Royce Hamm from Texas, I expect both of these guys to be uh, two of UNLV's six or seven best players next season. And to use two recent examples, UNLV's had some Big 12 transfers the last couple of years. They had Caleb Grill last season, and in Otzelberger's first year, they had Elijah Mitru Long, who came over from Texas. Now, both Grill and Elijah Mitru Long played more than 8.8 minutes a game, right? Both right, of them averaged right. more than 1.9 points per game. Right. Like, they were used more than Royce Ham was, but they were still guys that primarily came off the bench, that were playing less than 20 minutes a night, that were scoring less than 6 points a game or whatever it was. They were sort of just rotational pieces for their teams, and... Two years ago, when UNLV ended the regular season and was playing really well, Elijah Mitru Long might have been their best player for that five or six game stretch. He might have been better than Bryce Hamilton in that run. And then this past season, Caleb Grill was one of UNLV's best players. He wasn't really a playmaker. He wasn't like a shot creator, but he was their best perimeter defender. And he was one of their most consistent offensive pieces uh, as a shooter the entire season. So, like, you're talking about over the last two years, two of UNLV's better players have been guys that transferred from Big 12 benches. So, I fully expect Jordan McCabe and Royce Ham to come to UNLV and be good in the Mountain West. I think the problem, though, is UNLV still doesn't have, like, the true playmaker. Right, Royce Ham is a big guy who doesn't shoot threes, who is going to be reliant on other guys pretty much to create his offense. Jordan McCabe 
doesn't have a good three-point shot in college, even though he shoots a lot. He's under 30% for his career. The question on McCabe is how much can he get downhill, get to the rim off the dribble, because UNLV didn't have that last year. If he can do that at the Mountain West level, he'll be a great player, but I still don't know that they have a true like playmaker, offensive creator, even if I think McCabe and Ham will be pretty good next year for UNLV. Okay, so let me ask you this, because you said this often during the season, especially near the end of the season. Uh, go, let's go back to your point of they were going to be pretty good next year. I think you might have said one, maybe two, you can correct me if I'm wrong, better than what they had in terms of Bryce Hamilton, David Jenkins. Well, we now know David Jenkins is the portal. Uh, Bryce Hamilton's going to test the waters. Let's just say he doesn't come back, though. Like Sam said, he, you know, he might get into the portal and find a, a P5 school or someone like that to take him. And it's unfair for these two new guys because, like I said, we don't know how they're going to translate. But let's say Jenkins and Hamilton are gone. And you've seen what so far he's done in the portal. Is there any chance they're better next year? Uh, no, um, I would no. At, at the moment, I would not say they would be better next season. I don't think they'd be a whole lot worse, but no, because you're still. I I would not put Jordan McCabe or Royce Ham and say, oh, they're better than Bryce Hamilton. Maybe right, right. maybe we'll see it, but right now, no, I, I don't think you can say that at all. So right now, the overall talent on the roster has certainly taken a dip. It's not as good. Yes as it was last season. Now, I will, I will say one thing, and this is sort of an unknown because I don't know how well you can tell from guys that are playing on the bench at Texas and West Virginia, but right. I, my guess, I'm assuming here that Jordan McCabe and Royce Ham are average to above average defensively because UNLV last year had two guys on the entire roster that you would consider average or better on defense, Caleb Grill and Mbake Jean. The rest of the players on that team were bad defenders. They did not have good defensive players. So I'm guessing that Royce Ham and Jordan McCabe are going to be average or better defensive players. And if they are, UNLV might be a much better defensive team next year, which will go a long way because they sucked on that in the floor. But offensively, they, they're still going to have the same problems right now because who's creating the shots for this team? Yeah, and I don't know uh, as much about Ham, but I will say this, and I know he didn't play much in, as, as his career went on there, but... I'm sorry, Huggins is a better defensive coach than what UNLV has had in recent years. So I'm my, I am with you on that. I My guess is that kid knows how to play defense, having played for Huggins, even if in just practice or being coached by that staff. So I'm totally with you on that. I think he comes in and is a, I, he might come in and be their best perimeter, perimeter defender. I mean, you know, he's, he comes from a place where that guy coaches defense. So now the big from Texas, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm with you on that. I Put it this way. There's no chance, uh, in my mind, and I think you'd agree, that McCabe can come in and be a worse perimeter defender than what they've had. No, he cannot. No, there's no he chance, cannot. especially where he came from. No chance. Jenkins and Hamilton are awful defenders. Like, as Terrible. much as they can do on the offensive end, they're yes. both bad on that end yeah. of the floor. Just simply being average would be a massive upgrade yes. for UNLV defensively. Because, listen, last year, their Ken Palm ranking was the second worst in the history of Ken Palm. And Ken Palm's 20 years old. So the only defense that was worse was Marvin Menzies' first year in the last 20 years for UNLV defensively. So they're horrific on that side of the floor last season. You can't really get much worse. So McCabe should probably be fine. They should probably be pretty good on that end of the floor. Real quick, do you think it's weird uh, that nothing's been heard of or said from Mbake Zhang? Or do you think he's just taking advantage of the rule and he's staying and and he doesn't feel the need to say anything? I... I, I don't know. He probably. I mean, they're probably not going to put out a press release. It's probably just going to be one day Kevin Kruger talks to a media member, and it's like, oh yeah, he's staying around. They're like, oh yeah, you guys right. didn't know that. Like, 
That's right. what I assume will happen because it's Mbake Zhang, and Mbake Zhang's not going to – I don't even know if he's on Twitter. He's not going to be like, I'm coming right. back with a graphic right. in six paragraphs about why he loves to be I, here. It's Mbake Zhang. Is, is, it, is it really bad that I'm like, man, I hope Mbake like, has a master's degree by the end of this? He might. He should. Listen, he's going to be like the only player in like six years to stay here for five seasons if he comes back. He's like he's like the guy that's actually stayed for UNLV for a long time. All right, coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. We'll see how worried he is about the Golden Knights. He sh- his pants. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Good morning, Ryan. Would you rather be covering a team on a three-game losing streak coached by John Tortorella? I, I mean, yeah, the answer is yeah. Come on. <laughs> like, that's, not, that's not even a difficult question. What are, what are you doing here, Tyler? Come on. Listen, listen. You should have given me the Keegan Colasar. What do you think? That's a fair point. You're you're absolutely right. That's a missed opportunity for me. <laughs> okay, so what do you think? What there we go. What <laughs> there we go. Is, there we go. What is your concern level over the last three games that the Golden Knights have lost? Um, I mean, there's concern there, but I'm not overly concerned. This is still a team that's going to go to the playoffs. It's still a very good hockey team. I think that this is kind of one of those stretches that you expect to see in a regular season, regardless of, of how good your team is. Like earlier on in the year, Colorado was inconsistent. They they didn't necessarily get to their peak or their level that they're at currently right now. There's been some struggles for other teams. So, I, I mean, I think that this is just kind of a normal stretch in the season where the Golden Knights aren't scoring enough. They're not getting to the front of the net. They're not able to get second and third opportunities. And I think that there's enough in terms of personnel and there's enough in terms of coaching to figure out a way to to move past that and be better for it. About 20 games left. We talked about this off the top of the show. Um, given what you've seen since Leonard's come back, Flurry played obviously well enough to win the other day. They didn't help him out much. But if we told you there's 20 games left, and especially those last 10, uh, he's going to have a serious decision to make. We wouldn't have said that a while ago about who starts uh, are that is that the side you're on that there will be a decision to make if things go as they have lately? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the reality of the situation is Mark Andre Fleury played really, really well while Robin Leonard was unavailable, and you don't make your starting goaltender decision for the playoffs in the middle of the season unless you've got a true number one and then a backup. In this situation, it's a one A one B rotation, and my argument is that you're not going to make that decision until you absolutely have to. And that's game one of the playoffs. So whatever happens between now and then should inform that decision, not what happened in the middle of the season uh, when when Robin Leonard was unavailable and Marc-Andre Fleury was playing at a Vesna level. When we actually get to the playoffs, um, how likely do you think it is that we would see a goalie change without there being losses? Like, not because, hey, they lost the last game. But, like, do you think Pete DeBoer would change goalies in the playoffs because, oh, we won, but I didn't think Leonard or Fleury played well? I mean, it's really hard in the playoffs to, to make a change when, when, you, when you win a game, right? Like, I don't know that that's necessarily something we'll see. I, I do think that 
we could see something similar to what we saw in the bubble where there are designated starts for the backup to try to keep your starter fresh for the most important games of a season or of the series. But I, I mean, I also think that you could get into a situation where whether it's, whether it's Leonard or whether it's flurry, you just ride that goaltender. Like it's a regular playoff. I, I'm not really sure how they're going to do it, but I do think it's pretty fascinating to keep an eye on it. The last 20 games of the season. Are you, uh, you know, and obviously they, they taxied uh, Haig the other day. He's had issues with penalties. Talk about kind of their young defensemen that are going to have to step up in the playoffs. Uh, you know, lineup seems a little in flux right now because whether it be the suspension, Stevenson, guys are hurt like Reeves and White Cloud. But these young defensemen, how do you think they'll respond? And, and what do you say to Nick Haig right now in terms of trying to keep him out of the box and trying to get him back on course? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think it's just kind of a reminder that you, you always have to keep your feet moving. You can't really get away with with uh, defending just based on reaching, and and that's something that a young defenseman is going to learn. Uh, honest to God, I, I think that it just comes down to when Zach Whitecloud is healthy and available because he's the guy, to me, that really solidifies that third pair for the Golden Knights. And whether you pair him up with Nick Holden or whether you pair him up with, with Nick Haig, that's when they've been at their most consistent. That's when they've defended the best this season. So it's, it's not so much for me about Nick Haig and, and kind of the lessons that he has to learn. It's really about when can Zach Whitecloud get back into the lineup and solidify that third pair and make sure that that pair has an option of getting pucks out of their own zone, starting the rush the other way, and not being forced to defend in zone for long stretches of time. Alex Petrangelo has one more goal than Keegan Colasar this year. When will that change? Soon, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> and and that and honestly, like that's that's dependent on whether or not Keegan Colasar starts scoring or Alex Petrangelo starts scoring. But I do feel like there will be a change <laughs> in those numbers at some point in time here. Um, listen, when it comes to Alex Petrangelo, I, I think one of the things we have to kind of consider. Is I, I know there's the hope and there's the the desire for Alex Petrangelo to start scoring more, to be more productive in terms of offense, but I don't know that that's exactly what he's being asked to do. I don't know that for sure, but I think that first and foremost, the the mission for Alex Petrangelo is to be good in his own zone and to not really risk what what he might want to do in the offensive zone, pinching in, keeping pucks alive, looking for offense at the risk of defensive breakdown. So I, I don't know exactly what he's being asked to do, but I don't know that I'd worry too much about Alex Petrangelo uh, because he's the type of player that's going to need a little bit of time and he needs a little bit of time to kind of get used to this system and this team. But once it all clicks, he's going to return to being Alex Petrangelo. You know, we talked during the show, I mean, obviously Colorado's starting to play like everyone thought Colorado was and, they probably, there's at least an argument to be made, they were the best team in the division all along, and now they're showing it. But we also said if they slip to three, how much, if at all, now that Minnesota's having fans back, how much of a disadvantage is it if the Knights have to go on the road to start against a team they obviously might be better than, but obviously have some kind of matchup problem with? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough situation if the Golden Knights don't have home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs, especially if they're playing Minnesota. And, you know, I, I have to believe, and, I, and I, I do, that home ice advantage really is going to matter this year in the playoffs more than any other year. 
So if I'm the Golden Knights, I'm still looking to try to find a way to get to that one seed. I want home ice advantage as much as possible. But I, like I'm, I'm kind of of the mind that if you if you don't finish one, you have to finish two because you do not want to go on the road, especially if it's Minnesota. Why? Why is it you think this year home ice will be more important than ever before? I just I think that, that there's there's a buzz and an energy of, of playing in front of fans, and I I don't think that novelty is going to wear off anytime soon as you get more fans in the building and you're able to feed off of that. And and you know I just do believe that there's something to these players getting to play in front of their fans and how much that means to them when they didn't get the opportunity to do that in the playoff run last year. Did you make anything of uh, Cody Glass going down, coming back up? Obviously, Stevenson's suspension will end soon. What do you think happens then? I mean, do you, do you, does he go back? Uh, well, I, I mean, I thought he played perfectly fine um, the other day. I... I still think he probably needs more time in the AHL. Like you don't gain that much confidence in just a game. So like, I, I don't <laughs> think the plan was for Cody glass to come back up. Obviously the Chandler Stevenson suspension changes that, but um, I would expect that when Chandler Stevenson comes back, we'd probably see Cody glass go back to the AHL to gain more confidence. That, that would be my guess on the situation right now. Uh, Ryan, I've got a stat for you. If you adjust for per minute played, right, Keegan mm-hmm. Polisar leads the Golden Knights in individual high danger chances. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, like of course he does. I, I like it's it's not it's not overstating it to say that Keegan Polisar should probably have twenty goals this year. <laughs> like legitimately twenty goals. <laughs> He has uh, on a on a per sixty minute basis. He averages four point seven individual high danger chances. Uh, Max Pacioretty is at four point two. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Ryan, I don't have a stat. For, I don't have a stat for you. That will shock you. Um, Reeves have been out a few games. What? Uh, talk about Reeves in terms of what they miss, what they don't miss. I know statistically, there's been an argument, uh, you know, for a lot of the year, like you know, how much is he really giving them this year, but. Uh, talk about Reeves and his absence. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that there's certainly an aspect of the game that Ryan Reeves brings to the table. There's physicality. There's the ability to, to just kind of be out there and, and in the heads of your opponent before the puck even drops. Uh, but I, I don't know that this dip in play is necessarily <clears throat> correlated to Ryan Reeves being out of the lineup. I just think that there's so many moving parts right now with the Golden Knights, specifically the fact that they had to play shorthanded two games in a row, the game that Ryan Reeves was a late scratch for, and then the game that they had to play just 10 forwards. I think we kind of lose sight of that and think that this three-game winless streak is is all equal, all the same, when the, the circumstances surrounding the games were very different. Um, you're also working Alex Petrangelo back into the lineup. You're missing Zach Whitecloud, who really solidifies your third pair on defense. So, uh and, and then, of course, you're missing your top-line center in Chandler Stevenson due to suspension. So I think that there's more variables in play than just Ryan Reeves out of the lineup. But I do think that, you know, when you have a player like Reeves who brings that energy every single game, you do miss that at times. 
listen, you cannot deny Ryan Reeves out. The Golden Knights haven't won. It's the only thing that matters. All this other context you're trying to give us, we don't care about it. <laughs> also, 0-2-1 without uh, without Chandler Stevenson and 0-2-1 without uh, Zach Whitecloud. But again, those, those guys know. are not popular. Fair point. <laughs> they do not have their own beer. <laughs> listen, right. I, I, well, you know what? I'll push back. I think Zach Whitecloud's pretty popular. I mean, he's not Ryan Reeves popular. Ryan Reeves well, might be no, more popular like they're, than they're, Flurry. It's it's you're you're absolutely right there. Like it, it's it's not Ryan Reeves level popularity, but I think for Zach Whitecloud, it's it's getting up there. All right, uh, there. before before we let you go, Ryan, give us an Easter Monday update of your farm and your animals. They're all loud. <laughs> That's like that's like Henry Ruggs is fast. It's <laughs> a big evaluation. Like they're all incredibly loud, Tyler. How many how many goats do you have? Five. Five. I should let you know. My mom had another baby goat like last week. She's got like really? she's got like twelve or fifteen goats or something now. Hey, give us time. We're like only a year old. Come on. Well, yeah, okay. Get your goats going over there. Baby goats are apparently the cutest thing you've ever seen. Is there going to be a Bischoff, like, Wallace goat exchange? I mean, my mom lives in Mississippi, so it's kind of far away, but I don't know. I'm not opposed to driving, I guess. Okay, well, she's got a lot of goats. I don't know. I don't know if she sells them or not. I don't know what she does with all these goats. I don't have How do you not know? How how do you not ask questions? Listen. You, You get paid every day to ask questions. How do you not know? Well, yeah, not to her, though, but, like, she has so many animals. <laughs> she has so many animals that I can't keep track of, A, all the animals she has, and then let alone, B, what she actually wants to do with all the animals. Like, there's dog breeding in there, but there's also, like, she has bees and has honey that she gives away to people. Like, it's, there's a lot going on there. That No, Jeez. I do not know what Tyler, happens with the baby Tyler, goes. Tyler. Just show an interest, Jeez. man. That's, that's it. Just show an interest. Nope, nope. I don't want to be interested. Then I'll find out way too many details that I don't care about. That's the best. No, unbelievable. Not when it's your mom. No, not at all. Not at all. All right. Get out of here, Ryan. Thank you, Later, buddy. buddy. Um, I do not have a number for you. I, I will say that I do know you can send chickens through the U.S. Post Office. I don't know about goats. I am afraid to ask why Jared Justice knows the answer. Why would you find out next after our (laughs) shark who's on a good winning streak? It's time to find the shark. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Oh, no. Oh, you want to hear me on Mike is back for day three. He won... uh, Two games last week, betting on the Sixers and the Bucks. So, Mike, your third pick here. Where would you like to go today? All right, guys. I'm going to go Brooklyn minus five. That's what that's what, that's what I have. It. I don't know what you guys have it. But I got All right, let's see. I see. I see the Nets at minus five, and we will we will give you the the extra half a point, so you can't tie. So you actually have Brooklyn minus four and a half is what you're going right. to get. They take on the uh, Knicks tonight. So. Brooklyn minus four and a half is your line. Good luck, Mike. Thanks, Mike. All right, thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Take care. Bye. All See right. You. So he's in on another NBA pick. Looking to go three and zero 
on NBA picks. And this now guy goes, this guy goes three and zero in the NBA. He gets he needs to get into another profession and start betting NBA games because that's <laughs> the hardest thing to bet in sports by far. But now Jared tells us why he knows that you can ship a chicken. I mean, why I know that I I read. Okay, actually, that's not true. So, yeah, if you ever watch television, there'll every once in a while be certain steak and meat companies that will be like, hey, you order it now, you get this amount of extra hamburgers and chicken. You just get a chicken. And I was like, huh, how do they send you a chicken? Being silly, thinking, well, obviously it's chicken breast. It's it's like, yo, they'll send you like chicken thighs through the mail. And so I started looking it up and it's like, no, the Technically, it's legal to send live chickens through the United States Post Office. How? I'm, I'm, I, no, okay. no. How? I watched a video I, on YouTube, and it's like they put chick, like little baby chickens in a box, and they <laughs> ship them. There's holes in the box. Through the post office. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, I don't I don't know why. I assume it's because we were an agrarian state before the like, you know, nineteen hundreds. I'm so, just very confused as to the trust level anyone would have with the post office to send a live animal through. Like what's the what's the like survival rate on these chickens? I okay, see, yeah, I didn't go that far. I just watched the YouTube video and basically was like Okay, chickens. Apparently, one of the few things that they're like, yeah, throw that in a box. We actually, you know what? We got the box. We've got the you, box. I was going to say, do you stand in line like I used to send things to my kids in college with one of those boxes, and it's a self serve situation where you carry the chicken in and you like tell them which box you want, and you shove the chicken in, like write the address on the box, like I used to like with stuff I sent my kids. Like how do you? I mean, and then you stand in line, everyone's looking. He's like, well, I'm sending the chicken away. Well, I assume, yeah, you walk in with just a, like, yeah, like 19 baby chicks in your arms and you just go, would I need the, the premium plus or would I just like, what 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 sort of prepackage do I need? You know, those the little chicks you could do in one of those big envelopes and not a box. Oh, because those big, em- those big envelopes, you know, you can fit a lot in those big envelopes, like the puffy ones and then they expand. You throw a few chicks in there, they'd be okay, probably. Stop trying to save money shipping your chickens, Ed. Um, so according according to the Postal Service's website here, you can ship live bees. Okay, see? Chickens aren't even... This, this sounds like the greatest possible prank you can oh. pull on somebody is to send them a package, they open it, and it's just a hive of bees comes flying out. Who's allergic now? <laughs> oh, God, still you. Why would you be allowed to send bees? All right, so I die. Man, all right, so let's let's keep this going with, like, weird knowledge. I did know you could send bugs. I didn't know it was through the post office, but... Well, I mean... There, you can send chickens. I hope you can send bugs. Well, but there's like catalogs for like reptiles, and one of the thing, one of the sections for it is like live feeds. So you can send someone like eighty pounds of like millipedes. Oh, and uh, that to me would be the ultimate prank. Here, here is the. This is in the post office website. Uh, 
the their general specifications for sending animals. Live bees, live poultry, live adult birds, live scorpions, and other oh. small, harmless, cold-blooded animals. What? Who is making these decisions? Why are these the animals you can send? I don't know, but on the scorpion side, we don't need to send them. Just come to my backyard. Start selling them, man. 